Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. I want to talk a little bit about communities today from a more pastoral perspective of what I've seen happen um, over the last 15 years of kind of working with churches and watching small groups and seeing how families function when it comes to communities. How many of you would say in your faith experience you have been in something that is meant to deepen relationship with other people and your discipleship to Jesus? That may be a Sunday school class or a small group or a house church. I think most of us, if we've been a part of the church for any length of time, um, you've had some experience in something that happens outside of just a Sunday morning gathering I have a baby staring at me, and she's real cute, Um, and she's got big, big eyes. Okay, Um, you've probably experienced some type of discipleship in a smaller community, and what I've seen over the past 15 years has led me to believe in the power of communities, uh, in the biblical mandate that we live in community and that we love each other as family, but also that there are similar experiences of difficulty and conflict and stress that can come with community that seem to be multiplied over and over and over. And how many of you have witnessed those? Yeah, if, if you've been in church for any length of time or you've been in community, like really devoted yourselves to community for any length of time, you have butted up against relational conflict. You have probably butted up against people leaving the community out of um, uh, relational issues with one another or out of preferences or out of all kinds of things, right? We see it over and over. And pastorally, man, I'm, I'm convinced that this is what God has called us to. And pastorally, I'm convinced that that means you and I are going to have to embrace this work of maturity that God wants to do in our hearts if we're really going to walk in community. It's one of the biggest invitations, I think, in our life as Christ followers. It's one of the biggest invitations in any church is, man, can I commit to the process of living in rooted, devoted community with other people regardless of the little issues that come along the way? Are you with me? Um, We've seen this over and over, and in fact, our city has been populated by churches um, largely because of church splits. The issue that we're talking about is not foreign to us. Many of you know that. If, if I went through most of the AG churches around here, a lot of them came from church splits. A lot of the movements came from church splits. And we don't believe in that. We believe it's unhealthy. We believe it's a part of a sickness that's in the body. Uh, there is something about it that I think God desires. He longs for us to learn what it is to step into maturity and to actually deal with things relationally in a way that breeds safety and security and commitment. And that when outsiders who don't Know Jesus, look at the way we love each other and work through hard things. They say Jesus must actually be Lord. These people have been through tremendous hardship, tremendous difficulty, and they have not abandoned each other. They haven't rejected each other. They haven't started new streams of church based on preference. And I'm not saying that that's all bad. Man, there's great diversity in the body of Christ. I love that. But may it never come out of a conflict that we can't work to resolve. And we all understand this individually as well because we have had experiences with an individual in family, right, or in our friendships or in uh, co-workers that, man, we just struggle with a little more. In fact, there is probably one person that you work with that they don't yet know it, but you're just ready to kill them. 
You know, like you're always on the verge of just whooping one person, uh, but by the grace of God, that person is ready for a beatdown, right? I mean, we understand this individually. How much more corporately, when you bring together dozens of people, or in other churches, thousands of people, and you say, now, now, what does it look like to function as the body of Christ that is gracious and loving and merciful? This is what I believe God is longing to teach us. And so this morning, um, I don't have time to go through everything that I have written, but rather I want to focus on two main areas that I believe will be challenges for all of us who are Christ followers. So there's not a single person. If you are in Christ and in covenant relationship with him, you will face these challenges. You will have to answer these questions for yourselves at some point. But specifically, as we step into communities over the coming weeks, my heart is kind of like uh, anticipating moving from just the ideal of community to the reality of community and the distance between those two things. Does that make sense? Um, Because we often hold up an ideal around other people and how they're going to be with me, how they're going to respond to me, how this is going to work. And then when we step into it, it's slightly more complex and it's slightly stickier. Um, And so the two things that we're going to talk about this morning are first, surrendering our illusions of community to embrace the reality of community. Can I get an amen? We have to actually surrender those illusions of how community is going to work if we're going to embrace the reality and commit to it. Um, And the second thing we're going to talk about is God's purpose in family. And we really just want to hone in on how God uses community. How does he use family in us? Um, Last week, I actually told you guys that we were talking on discipleship this week. And when I left, I mean, we spoke on community. And then all week long, everywhere we looked, it was this message of family, family, family. And I just felt like the Lord was kind of deepening that conversation in my heart and uh, hopefully for you guys as well. I remember when Chrissy and I first got married. um, Chrissy, the first time I saw her, man, I was just smitten. Thank you. Why are you clapping? This is weird. I'm just kidding. I I was at a pool party. We actually came to visit Columbus. We were from Anderson, South Carolina, and my dad was moving here uh, to take a pastoral position in the church. And we went to this youth pool party, and I saw Chrissy, and I was blown away. She was just beautiful and vibrant, real energetic, if you know her. She's just kind of like a Labrador retriever, like she's just meeting everybody, and she's the sweetest and got the brightest smile, and you know, in every room. Uh, and so I just kind of fell for her really quick and we got married four years later. I went off to school, came back and, um, and we, we got married and man, we were just, we would stay up every night till 3am talking, you know, while we were dating and engaged. It was just like, it was sickening. I mean, we were that couple and uh, I just really loved being around her. She was a spitfire. She still is. I love that. I knew, I love that she knew her mind about things. She wasn't a pushover. Can I get an amen, ladies? Uh, all those good Southern uh, ladies and others. Um, but yeah, I just love that about her. But I remember right after our honeymoon, you know, we got warnings like, hey, man, when the honeymoon's over, things will change, you know? And I was like, okay, whatever, you know? And uh, I came in one day and Chrissy was sweetly making me a turkey sandwich. It was so kind. She was, that was one of the things I loved about her. She just would serve whatever the need was uh, when we were dating. And uh, I walked in the kitchen, Steve, and she's making me this turkey sandwich. And I just see her. She's scooping mayonnaise out of the container with a spoon. And she's like, you know, dropping it on the bread. But then she's just using the concave part of the spoon and just scraping it along the top side of the bread. And I, in my most gentle, manly way, said, what are you doing? And she said, what? That's her southern response. What? 
And I said, what are you doing with the, the spoon and the bread? I said, they made a whole other utensil for that. Like, they created knives specifically to spread mayonnaise on bread. Can I get an amen? And I, I got to be honest, it seemed normal. It seemed, it seemed like the perfect thing to say, poor dear, she doesn't know. That spoon's going to destroy my bread. And when I said it, you would have thought I killed her cat. Like she looked at me with this, this heinous look, like I had called her Hitler or something, you know. And I was just trying to get to the point that she was using the wrong utensil for the job. And quickly, I realized that the honeymoon was over, you know. And we, 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 had, we had to deal with this. This was a real issue. There was another day I came into the room and Chrissy had folded an entire basket of laundry. And if you guys don't know us well, we're, we're much better now than we were early on in marriage. But we have this family rule that Chrissy has to lo- uh, tighten up and I have to loosen up. Because I tend to be a little uptight and she tends to be a little less than that. And, uh, and so I walked in and there was this basket filled with laundry that she had folded. But I came out of a house where things had to be done a specific way. Um, that's okay, mom. It's fine. Uh, you pass those jeans directly into me. And um, so I walked in and I see this basket and I'm thinking, this is giving me anxiety, what I see here. Because uh, Chrissy's idea of folding was, I, I don't know, it was disastrous, okay? It was really, really terrible. And I am a, a little OCD about folding clothes and having stuff kind of neat, you know? When you open my shirts, there's no wrinkles. It's, it's, just how we, it's just how we roll. Do I have any other OCD people in the house when it comes to that? Thank you. You're welcome here with all of your weirdness and your psychosis. You're welcome. Um, and so I looked at the basket, I walked in, and then I just kind of pushed the door closed. And while she was in the living room, I started refolding my laundry. And she walked in, I, heard, I just heard the door. <laughs> and when I looked over, again, you would have thought I had called her the devil. She was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I, I don't know what happened. I'm sorry. I got caught up and I just <laughs> had to refold my laundry. <laughs> and she was so mad about it because in her mind, I was saying, you're not you're not a good wife. And what I was really just trying to say was, this is going to drive me nuts until I refold these socks. I need a trifold. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Some of you are like, I have questions about this church now. Okay, that's fine. I think all of us understand what it is uh, to move past the illusion of something into the reality of something. I tell these funny stories because I think every single one of us has stories that are very similar where stuff starts off with this exciting, passionate, joyful kind of honeymoon phase of stepping into a new thing. And then you get into it a couple months in and suddenly the honeymoon kind of shine wears off and you start to see all of the reality stuff. You start to see um, not just in what marriage looks like, but how your preferences are different from one another and how what you value is very different from what other people value and how that changes the way your conversations work. And you start to realize that not everybody loves basketball, Caleb. Not everybody loves LeBron and not everybody loves the different things that we love. We all have preferences and desires that we bring into things. And if none of those examples hits you, I think that you still recognize there's a big difference between this ideal of community and the reality. Oswald Chambers calls this process of moving from illusions to reality disillusionment. You know, in our English language, it doesn't really capture it because we think about being disillusioned. We think about that being like a terribly negative thing. But listen to what Oswald Chambers says. He says, disillusionment means having no more misconceptions, false impressions, and false judgments in life. 
It means being free from these deceptions. However, though no longer deceived, our experience of disillusionment may actually leave us cynical and overly critical in our judgment of others. And in other words, once we move from an ideal where everything is perfect and this thing all works really simply and naturally, and we move into the reality where there, there are edges on people and there are personality traits that you just wish they didn't have, sometimes we can get really critical. We, we have moved into the reality, and we just want to point out the issues. He said sometimes we become overly critical in our judgment. But the disillusionment that comes from God brings us to the point where we see people as they really are. What a gift. We see people as they really are, yet without any cynicism or any stinging and bitter criticism. Many of the things in life that inflict the greatest injury, grief, or pain stem from the fact that we suffer from illusions. We're not true to one another as facts, seeing each other as we really are. We are only true to our misconceived ideas of one another. You know, one of the painful diagnoses of our generation, I think in retrospect, like in 10 years, I think what we will find out is that we talked far more about community than we actually lived it, that we talked more about the need for community than we were willing to sacrifice for it. And I think one of the things that we're going to continue to find, not just in the world, but in the church, is that people are starving for authentic community. They're starving for authentic relationship. But it requires so much of people that oftentimes we're not willing to pay the price. You know, there's this beautiful quote that Christianity hasn't been, um, how, does it, how does it go? Christianity hasn't been uh, tried or tested and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Community is a lot the same way. It's not that people look at community and say, this isn't very helpful. It's that we see how hard it is, and when it's inconvenient, we wash our hands and we walk away. And we say, I, I will do this with other people. I'll start with another friend. I'm going to cut ties here. This is not working out. we gotta, we got to start this once again. And so we've seen being disillusioned as something bad, but the opposite, living in illusions, is what... I think many of us struggle with. And as we move from this ideal of family into the reality of family, each and every one of us has a powerful choice to make. Will I devote myself to others when they don't meet my expectations? Will I actually still commit myself? And why would I do that? And why would I commit and devote myself in relationships to people um, when things are hard? Our culture teaches us that you just have other options. You don't need to stick with this. If this thing's not working, you leave it. If this marriage isn't working, you leave it. If this uh, group of friends isn't working, you leave it. And somehow, when, when God invites us in, he invites us into this place where, like we read last week, where we're invited into one faith and one baptism and one spirit, right? And we share one name and we have one father and we're part of one body. This thing doesn't break up and parse out in the same way as worldly relationships. The way that I'm called, like I barely know Johnny and Sabrina who are here this morning, but somehow by faith, I am more closely linked to and related to Johnny than I know because we share one father and one baptism and one spirit. And there is something that is beautiful about that because God calls us to fight for that. It's not just a worldly thing we turn our backs on and walk away from. And I think we've all probably done that in some fashion in our own lives, and we've seen that done. We've experienced the pain of it being done to us. So for most of us, and this is, man, prime real estate this morning, 
The process to grow in Christ. How many of you are just asking, Lord, I want to grow in you? I really, I want you to grow in me. I want you to transform me by your spirit. That process for most of us to grow in Christ and to grow in maturity is going to involve a healthy dose of disillusionment. A healthy dose of you taking off the illusions of how community works and the illusions of what the Christ life is like and stepping into the reality of it. And this is where we forfeit our preconceived notions of people and our preconceived notions of how community works and uh, we forfeit entitlement to have things our way and we embrace the messy beauty of family. Family is what you long for. You may not know it. It may not have been your experience either in the physical or in the spiritual. But I want to encourage you to believe that God longs to transform you and to grow in you by putting you, by rooting you deeply in a community where his kingdom and his personality and his culture take precedent. And somehow in the midst of that, when we commit to other people under his authority and his leadership, he starts to change us. And he challenges things in my flesh that don't belong and can't stay if I'm going to live with him and live with other people. And he does that in each and every one of us. See, the reality is far more interesting than the illusion. Reality is where you enter into true relationship with others and you stop hiding behind masks. I mean, we have a culture where we literally, we have created filters for our face for pictures to go online. <laughs> have you ever just stopped and just asked, like, how weird is this? Now, it's, it's kind of funny and it's cool, too. My kids love it. Like, Lily loves to get uh, a hold of those and go through all of the things. And they always think it's really funny when they put the whatever one is the girliest filter on dad, you know. And I've got, like, a French beret and a little thing and lipstick on or something. Like, they love that. And I get it. It's a lot of fun. The problem is we actually live like that. It's, it's not a big deal, right, if it's just on social media and everybody knows this is a filter and it doesn't obviously look that good or that weird. It's just normal. But somehow we live Monday through Sunday like that, just trying to mask how we live. And church is really like, this is a dynamic setting for you to just wear a mask. It's really dangerous. And in community settings, you know what happens? Your mask wears off. And you're with the same people for weeks and weeks and months and months, and if we do it right, for years. And when they look at you, they know if you're frustrated about something. And they know if you're agitated, and they know if something's wrong. They know if you're insecure. They know if you're growing in Christ or if you have just shifted into neutral and are just letting the autopilot take the wheel. They know. But when we bounce from place to place, if I'm somewhere new every six months, how many of you know I can't bear roots to get firm and founded in my faith. I can't grow in community because I'm just fluctuating all the time. And you know what doesn't come when you're not rooted? Fruit. I, plants are actually built that way. I grew up in a family that loves plants. When you, when you pull a plant up out of the ground and you transplant it into a new soil, you know what it does? The root system scientifically like puts this waxy residue on the bottom of the roots to protect it from pestilence getting in and killing it. Protects it from heat, protects it from cool, protects it from pestilence. Some of you live with your roots waxed over. They're incapable of growth because you're protecting yourself all the time from anything getting to you that you can't actually get into anything that you're planted in. And so you just live rootless, place to place to place. No fruit's coming. You just want to stay alive. And God's saying, I, man, I have, I have destined you to be fruitful. 
I've commanded you to be fruitful. As disciples, you cannot be my disciples unless you are bearing fruit. But if you abide in me, it is effortless. It's not like you're straining to bear fruit. And that is something God has really convinced me of. It's not in me to bear fruit. It is in me to be well-rooted and well-watered in the Spirit. And for some of you this morning, man, you've lived life in seasons of just uprooting and starting again. It got hard here. Man, it got difficult. I faced some trials with friends. I don't feel like I was really understood. I feel like my preferences and my desires didn't really take shape in that place the way that I wanted. I had some expectations. So I'm going to transplant here. And then I'm going to transplant here. And before you know it, man, you have spent years in neutral. Years with your roots incapable of actually taking hold of the soil that you've been planted in. Years of fruitlessness and thinking, God, why aren't you doing? And he's saying, why aren't you staying still? Why aren't you rooting yourself? Why aren't you giving yourself the capacity that I have created in you to find community and to, to grow up in me and to bear fruit that lasts? It happens through this rootedness. Are you with me? And this is the demand on all of us if we're disciples. What does it mean to, to radically devote ourselves to the people who God has entrusted us with and who he's entrusted us to? So the question rattling around in my spirit this morning is whether or not you and I, and those of you who are in here who are joining communities, whether or not we will be bold enough to commit to and pursue the raw reality of community and discard the illusions of it. Now, I'm not saying come in like, well, I'm ready for war. You know what I mean? Like, you don't want to come in with this idea that community's brutal or something. It's not. It's great. It just demands. It just demands stuff of you. It demands things to, like, make it a priority. For us to actually make it a priority. I'm going to be with these people every Tuesday night. Unless there's an emergency, I'm coming. I'm not going to bail out. I'm not going to let them know at the last second, hey, something better came up. Like, it's not a something better kind of relationship. It's a, I'm there. I'm there. If I told my wife, you know, if we set like a Tuesday night date night and every Tuesday night, right at the last minute, I just said, hey, babe, something better came up. How do you think that would go? Like, not so well. Not so well. My wife can fight, right? I'm mean, like, physically, she's really good. <laughs> um, she's a boxer, I think, by nature. Um, no, it wouldn't go good. And in the same way, a lot of times, I think we prioritize covenant family in the, in the church as the family of God. And we say, no, this is just another group of people I can, I can bail out on whenever. And it has no effect on my life. Baloney. Baloney. You have stalemated your capacity to grow. You're saying, God, grow me. And he's saying, okay, here's people. Buckle up. This growing journey is going to be a blast. Right? The reality of family demands more. The reality will demand that we live in self-limitation, that I actually limit my schedule. For me to be committed to the groups of people that God has entrusted to us right now, I, I know that my schedule works completely differently. I, I don't have freedom in my schedule. I don't decide to just leave town on the weekend. Like, it, it doesn't work, you know? Because I have committed myself to be with a group of people and to this mission together. And so there's self-limitation comes to be a part of it. For some of you, that might be like a significant hurdle. Tim Keller is an author and pastor up in New York City. He was asked, um, Pastor Keller, what would you tell um, millennials in this generation right now that's really important and on your heart? And he said, I believe I would tell them that they value the idea of community far more than the reality because most of them will not limit themselves to actually practice it. That it means you may actually like, make a decision to stay in a place 
for years for the sake of community. That you get rooted in a location. That you don't jump when things get hard. That you actually give of your energy and time and resources. Like it is a commitment to family. And in family, it's not like you just cut out when the business doesn't work out the way that you want, right? I didn't get the song I wanted this morning. I'm out. No, that's not how family works, you know? If I walk in my dad's house and he's got on a song that I think is stupid, I'm going to stick around, you know what I mean? Because it's family. It's my dad's house. And for some of us, we, we see the church so much like a business that we consume and not like a family that we live in and we give to and we serve and we love. And you know the difference, right? And it's easy to walk. I mean, how many of you go to Wendy's on a regular basis? If I have any Wendy's employees, I'm sorry. I used to love Wendy's. Growing up, Wendy's french fries were the jam, okay? And then McDonald's did some voodoo magic on theirs, and they're just crispy and salty every time. I don't know what to tell you. They're wonderful. But here's what all of us know about Wendy's. It's terrible business. If you don't love their food, you're not going to go to Wendy's. You know what I'm saying? It's always an inconvenience to the people working every time I go to Wendy's. It is tragic. I'm like, can I get a burger? They're like, I guess. <laughs> I'll pay you money, <laughs> you know. And then you're waiting 20 minutes. Sometimes churches like that. Sometimes people come in and it is like, man, they are waiting for you to fail their expectations. And as soon as you do, they're out. Now, I can tell you, if, if I can, like, breathe a little humanity into me, like, I realize when you hold a microphone, suddenly you become this other thing. But, man, even as a pastor of people who walk in relationship, it is so difficult to see that over and over and over, where the church becomes a revolving door. That's really painful. And I think it says something to our community around us of what the truth is about church, what the truth is about what it means to follow Jesus. Don't you think? Don't you think when we just see people... We're at a different church every year. Like, that becomes a problem. Something has really happened in their hearts. Um, and it, again, no judgment. I think our culture has really set us up poorly. Uh, I think even the previous generation, my, my generation, and all, in a lot of ways has set you up poorly because there's so many options right now, guys. You can choose from a million things. And what, I, what my heart burns for as we launch communities is to see a culture that is built around a commitment to one another in love and generosity and grace that sticks. What would it be like if you had the same cluster of friends? If, like, look across the room right now. There are people in here that you don't know well. What would it be like if in 10 and 20 years you were still in relationship with these people, deeply rooted in relationship? What would it be like if your kids grew up with their kids? I'd never started to think like that until I was around a group of um, South African pastors who are a global group and every time uh, we're around them they're kind of like mentors in church planning for us I went and hung out with them Chrissy and I did in Malibu California last year and for like 30 or 40 years these guys have been running together and they all bring their families and they all come and pour into other leaders and they do it together and they've been doing it for decades and I remember thinking like out of everything I took from this conference that was the most beautiful because we have such a generation that uproots and leaves when things get difficult. And for them, they said, no, we've had lots of fights. We've gone through lots of hard times, and we have continued to fight for the relationship. There have been seasons of difficulty, and we continue to fight. What would it be like if even in this room, we acted as a kind of a prophetic symbol for the community? This is what it means to be in relationship. 
bound in Christ together, that we will fight through whatever we need to. And if some of you decide, man, I, I, I'm, I'm out, it got too hard, that you will have people who pursue you and say, what's going on? You don't just get to walk out the door and people not chase you down and find you and love you and engage you, but man, we go after it. Are you guys with me? How important is that to the world right now? How important is that to the heart of God? You know, last week we read out of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Why is Paul saying that, you think? Like, it's a really pretty passage. I'm like, yes, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Why do you think he was saying it? It was hard. I think he was actually talking to people who were ticked off at each other. Hey, guys. You know, I think it was more that tone. Like, listen, (laughs) I know in the world when people get frustrated at you, you can lose patience. You can just pop them in the eye, you know, like uh, it's just like it's like a ballpark. You know, when your kids, I had brothers, when they made you mad, you punch them. That's what you do. You punch them and then you leave. And somehow we carry that kind of culture into the kingdom. We're like, I punch you and I leave. You made me mad. You offended me. That is not my, uh, my desire, whatever. I punch you, I leave. And we kind of carry the same kind of culture in. We don't realize that what Paul is saying is attached to a reason. People are people. They're going through things. Be completely humble. Be gentle. Be patient. Bear with one another in love. Right? Think about it. People are leaving the worldly system, their way of doing things, and Paul's instructing them on this new creation, this new way of dealing with stuff. You know what? For some of us, we actually have just transferred all of the ways we dealt with stuff in the world, and we pulled it into the church, or we pulled it into communities, or we pulled it into the kingdom. And here's, here's a highlighter moment. that God's culture is different than yours. That it's not a matter of us bringing our culture into God's house and transforming it to meet our needs. We're stepping into his house, into his people, into his culture. And he starts to renew us and renovate us by his spirit in the way he wants to do things. Right? Because the purpose of the church is very different. Secondly, secondly, so number one, we have to resolve to lay down those illusions and to take up the reality of community if we're going to embrace it. But secondly, we have to understand God's purpose in family. God's purpose is different. His culture is different. I remember I took Lily to a, um, Chrissy and I were going to some kind of birthday party and it was themed, which I get it, girls. It's neat. I hate 80s birthday parties. You know, any themed birthday party, it's just the worst. Um, So we're shopping through a thrift store and I have to find some acid wash jeans because it's the 80s. Uh, and I see a pair that catches my eye, you know, over on the rotating rack, and I look over to get it, and this is, I think Lily was three or four, she was three then, turned my back for a minute, Chrissy was in the back of the store, and Lily had just learned, she had just become potty trained, Um, and it was a thing of beauty, you know, a whole new level of freedom for our family. Well, I didn't realize that they were actually, they had a toilet for sale in said thrift store. Uh, It was sitting in the back of the store, uh, bowl open, and Lily, in her three-year-old mind, was thinking, I know what that is, and Mama got to go potty. And she just took off, pulled her pants down in the middle of a thrift store, and is climbing up onto a toilet that is disconnected from plumbing. And I am like slow-motion terror sets in, you know, and I'm just screaming, no! <laughs> and just reaching for her, I snatch her up just in time to get her to the toilet, and she goes, you know, on a toilet with plumbing. It was good. 
And the lesson I learned from that is that oftentimes what we perceive to be true about something is the way that we treat it. For her, a toilet's a toilet. I'm going to go to the bathroom in that toilet because that is a toilet. Only that is not a toilet. That is an item for sale in the middle of a store, darling. And a lot of the times we come to the church with the same inclination. The way we perceive it, the way we perceive church is the way we will treat it. So many of us come to church with this idea of a business model. I'm going to come and I'm going to find the kind of pastor I want and the kind of worship I want. And if they're not there, deuces. It's not my spot. It's been interesting. We've got, you know, even starting this church, there's several in the house who we're just not on the same page everywhere theologically. I love that. I think it's beautiful. I really do. But I realize there's a tension there. You know, the way we perceive this is the way that we're going to treat it. For many of us, we, we, we wrestle with the church because we come in with a lot of baggage about what church ought to be. And I think it's a good question to ask, what is God's purpose for the church? What is, how did he design this thing? How did he design us to come together? Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and I'm closing in like two minutes. That is not true, but I am going to try to make it true. <laughs> I'm getting there as fast as I can go. Are you guys with me still? You good? Okay. Ephesians 4.11, so Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to what? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What is the purpose of the church? The purpose of the church is to equip you to grow you up into knowledge and unity, and ultimately to see you become mature. It is not to do everything for you that God has commanded to his people. It is to equip you to do that. Amazing. This is the picture of family. Like this doesn't happen in business where we're able to do this. This doesn't happen in some cold, distant relationship where you can kind of contractually come into relationship with people and then leave when it doesn't go so well. He, he says, I'm calling you to maturity. Maturity is the, the role of family. You know, my, my goal as a father is to raise up mature daughters who understand what it is to be women of God, who understand what it is to be responsible and fruitful and productive, Right? But if I go through life telling them what to do and then doing it for them, I have empowered them to be unfruitful. I've empowered them to be immature. And you guys have been around those people. You might be those people. I don't know. <laughs> like who, Maybe mom and dad did everything for you. And now you're an adult and you're like, I don't know how to do anything. I don't know how to pay my bills. I don't know how to change a tire. I don't. And the list goes on, right? I don't know how to treat people because in my family we just... You with me? So in, instead of us just saying, hey, baby, I, I really like Chrissy this week made this list on our wall. Here's a chore list before you play video games. Because in our house right now, video games are a big deal. All right? Like we have scoreboards going, you know, Zelda is up there, Mario Kart. Like we're rocking a lot of games. And so we're having to establish an ironclad set of rules. Like before that, you need to read you need to, like, grow your brain a little bit. You're going to have to clean something. You're going to have to eat something. Like, there's, there's rules. And, um, you know, it's funny. If I show my daughter Lily those rules every day, baby, mommy said that you have to make your bed and clean the bathroom. And then I say, do you understand? And she says, yes. And then I go and I take the cleaning utensils and I start cleaning the bathroom. What has she learned? She's learned that that doesn't mean anything. And I don't have to grow at all. 
I can just go play video games. Oftentimes we come into the church and the scripture tells us very plainly places that we need to grow, like caring for the poor. Is that a command to the church or to you? Who? It's to, it's to you. So is the church just supposed to start like a caring for the poor fund? Yeah, but it's also you. Like it's about you learning how to care for the poor and sharing your faith. The goal is not for you to just bring unbelievers just to a Sunday gathering. It's for you to learn how to share your faith. So that like when you're on a Tuesday and somebody's soul is dismantled sitting beside you at work and the spirit gives you a nudge, man, you need to share love and grace with that person. You don't say, will you come to church with me on Sunday? That that's not your first inclination. But your first inclination is, can I pray with you? Man, I, I I believe in the grace of God to transform your life through faith in His Son. I believe in the power of God to change your, your circumstance, your situation, and who you are. The empowerment comes to us, right? And this really dials into two things, and then I promise I'm just not even going to say any more words. Um, in following Jesus, there are two realities that we lean into. First off, it's the justification that you and I have all been saved by grace through faith in Christ, and it's a one-time event. You have been made right before God. And this morning, if you're in covenant relationship with Jesus, you stand justified. You can't do anything about it. God looks at you, and he sees the purity of his son, Jesus. You've been made righteous in his sight through faith, period, right? It doesn't need to be done again. There's no continual process. That thing is complete. And yet, there is this process of sanctification. This one-time thing has happened. You are saved. But how many of you know you can be saved and still act like a jerk? You ever met anybody? I mean, you know, we all have our moments. But in sanctification, it's the invitation to be transformed by the work of the Spirit over time. So for some of you, you're like, man, I got saved. How come I'm not perfect? Why is this still hard? God is sanctifying you. He's bringing you into a process of growth. You're not, there are some movements that believe in instantaneous sanctification. What a weird thing that would be. Or awesome, it'd be awesome. God just instantly makes you a Jesus robot. You know what I mean? Like you just immediately. And there are many times when I was struggling with sin or temptation where that is what I wanted. I wanted God to just make me want to do all the right things. Are you with me? Make me want to do it. Make me want to give my money to the poor. Make me want to not lust. Make me want to... And God somehow invites you into a process of growing by His transformational work of the Spirit and by you submitting your will to His every day. Sanctification is you putting your flesh to death in partnership with the Spirit. For most of us, the place that you are going to find this the strongest is in family. And it's in community. Now here's what I promise to you. If you are carrying illusions when you come into community, they will be failed. But in the failure, God has given you an incredible gift. He's not saying, you don't need this. This isn't what you need. He's saying, this is reality. Will you still follow me in this? Will you allow me to shape you through the reality of this? And I want to encourage you in weeks to come, Maybe some questions that you can ask yourself are, what are the illusions? What are the expectations that I have in my heart of community? Are they real? 
Is this a realistic expectation or is this just a me expectation? Is this a, a preference? Here's the other beautiful thing. I'm turning everything off so that I can convince you that I'm in, in fact done. 1 Corinthians 12, we don't have time to read it, says that we are a body, one body of many parts. You know, if the eye says to the ear, because I'm not an ear, you know, I don't want to be a part of this body anymore. What we tend to do is create entire churches of ears and entire churches of eyes and entire churches of mouths, right? So here's the prophet church, and here's the apostolic church, and here's the doctrine teaching church, and here's the pastoral church. We have fractured the body. Because we're scared of tension, we don't embrace the beauty of what God wants to create, the full measure of his spirit in us. Can I challenge you? Maybe you are a transplant kind of person. Maybe when it gets hard, like if you're an Enneagram 7 and you just want to dip as soon as things get real, you know? And if you don't know what Enneagram is, we'll talk about it later. Um, but maybe that's you. And maybe for you, the simple invitation this morning is to plant your feet in community. To dig your roots down deep and to let God grow you. What is my illusion? Maybe for you, you just have some illusions in your heart and there's strong preferences. Maybe they're biblical even. And they might be biblical. But when it strikes the reality, man, how we work that out with people becomes vitally important. And last but not least, are you viewing the church as a means to meet your needs or as a family where you can become mature? How we perceive it is how we will treat it. I want to invite you in the weeks to come to really just take some, some investigation of yourself. Take a, a soul assessment. Just say, Lord, what are you doing? What are you speaking to me right now? And how can I grow in the season in a way that I haven't before? Does that sound good? Yeah? Good. Stand to your feet.